your Bibles with you today, I'd like you to open up to Romans chapter 1. We will get there in a few minutes. But before we do, I'd like to ask a question of you. And the question is this, can one person make a difference in this world? And you know the answer is yes. One person empowered and used by God can make a tremendous difference in this world. Of course, Jesus did. But other than Jesus, can one person make a difference in this world? The answer is yes. Many biblical examples come to mind. Noah, did he make a difference? Abraham. Joseph, Moses, Daniel, David, the shepherd boy who became king of Israel. How about the apostle Paul? Did he make a difference in this world? Each one of these and many others have made a tremendous impact for God in this world. And today we celebrate another such man And the impact that he had is still being felt to this very day. His name was Martin Luther. He is the man who God would use to begin the reformation of the church. The church that had drifted far from the teachings of Scripture and even further from a biblical understanding of salvation. The Roman Catholic Church of his day had departed from the authority of Scripture and had added instead the teachings of men, of bishops, of councils, and popes. And they had done this to such an extent that those who attended those churches were totally in the dark concerning what the Bible actually taught. As I mentioned last year on Reformation Sunday, the church during the Dark Ages preceding the Reformation was nothing like we experience today. Let me list just a few of the differences. First of all, only the clergy had access to the Word of God, which was only allowed to be printed in Latin. No one attending the churches, had ever heard a sermon preached in their own language because the Mass was only done in Latin. No one at the Mass was allowed to sing. There was no congregational singing in Roman Catholic churches whatsoever. And only the priests were allowed to partake of communion. They partook for everyone. But most serious of all, the doctrine of salvation by grace had been completely distorted such that no individual could know for certain if they would go to heaven when they died. There was no assurance of salvation whatsoever. Instead of salvation by God's grace, the church taught that you had to earn your way to heaven through your Good deeds or 
through suffering for your own sins in a place of torment they called purgatory. Imagine a world where almost no one had ever heard the true gospel. They didn't call it the dark ages for nothing. So this describes the world prior to the Reformation, which really began in earnest on October 31st, 1517, when a monk with a mallet was used by God to spark what we know today as the Protestant Reformation. On that day, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses or protests on the front door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he triggered the beginning of a reformation that would sweep across Germany, across Europe, and eventually across the entire world. The reformation gave birth to the Protestant church and brought the church out of the dark ages and back to the teachings of scripture from which it had deviated. And most importantly, was the recovery of a biblical understanding of salvation. That we are not saved by our own good works or by our own suffering for our sin, but that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's suffering for our sins, and we are credited with his righteousness. Can one person make a difference in this world? Yes. God used a monk with a mallet to start a movement that would result in the reforming of his church and the gospel of grace being recovered and proclaimed right up to this day, 505 years later. We could say that you and I are here today because of what that one man did, empowered by God. So today I want to ask and answer three questions. Who was this monk? What caused him to act? And what was the heart of his message? What was at the heart of the Reformation? So let's start with who was this monk? Martin Luther was born on 10 November 1483 in the town of Eiselben, Germany. His father, Hans Luther, was a copper miner. Soon after Martin's birth, he received a promotion and the family moved to the Saxon town of Mansfield. And there Martin was educated in the local Latin school. Like many families from humble backgrounds, Hans Luther had big ambitions for his very intelligent son. He wanted him to become a lawyer. So in 1501, at 17, and with the support of his parents, Martin enrolled in the University of Erfurt, one of Europe's most popular universities. Luther excelled in his studies, earning a BA degree at the age of 19 and his master's degree in 1505 at the age of 22. He looked like he was set for success as a lawyer. He remained at Erfurt to receive specialized training in law. And he was on his way to fulfilling his father's dream for him, 
However, Father God had a different plan. On July 2nd, 1505, as Martin was returning to the university from a visit to home, he was caught in a sudden violent thunderstorm with lightning striking the ground and approaching him. He was gripped with fear. Fear that this was God's judgment upon him for his sinful ways. And in desperation and in fear, he cried out to St. Anne, the patron saint of minors. These words, help me, St. Anne, and I will become a monk. Two weeks later, to the great disappointment of his father, Martin entered a monastery and began his studies to become a monk. Once again, Martin Luther excelled in his studies. In 1507, he is ordained to ministry. In 1509, he receives his B.A. in Bible, followed by a master's degree and then his doctorate degree in theology. He is then appointed as an instructor in the School of Theology at Wittenberg, Germany. And it was there that he began lecturing. He lectured on Psalms, on Galatians, and then later on Romans. But all was not well with Martin Luther spiritually. Remember, he had become a monk out of fear. Not simply fear of death, but fear of God's righteous judgment for his sins. And Luther's studies had made matters worse. The more he studied scripture, the more he became convinced of the holiness and righteousness of God. And his own lack of holiness and righteousness. Luther did everything that he could think of to assuage his guilty conscience. Later, he would write these words, quoting, I myself was a monk for years. I tortured myself with praying, fasting, keeping vigils, and freezing in the cold. He would sleep on the stone floor of the monastery just to suffer for his sins. I inflicted much pain upon myself, but it resulted in no relief from my guilt. If ever a monk got to heaven by monkery, then I should have made it. If it had just lasted much longer, I would have killed myself. But it still brought him no relief. When would he do enough spiritual good deeds to outweigh his sinfulness? Eventually, he concluded that God was a tyrant because God demanded from his unrighteous subjects a righteousness that they could not achieve, a righteousness they could not give. In his own words, he writes, quote, I no longer loved God, I hated him, close quote.
But this all changed. As Luther was studying Paul's epistle to the Romans so that he could lecture on it. So what caused him to act? Let me read to you Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul writes these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What led Martin Luther to turn from his staunch Roman Catholic upbringing and education? What caused him to become a vocal protester against Rome and against Roman teaching and practices? It was the truth found in the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. Because of what he found here in the first chapter of Romans, Luther decisively rejected the teachings of the church and finally discovered the assurance of his salvation, that which he had been seeking all of his life. And in doing so, he fell in love with God once again. Listen to Martin Luther's account of what happened in his own words. Quoting from his writings. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. And nothing stood in my way but that one expression, the righteousness of God, found in Romans 1.17. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unrighteous. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him therefore I did not love a just and angry God but rather hated and murmured against him yet I clung to the dear apostle Paul and had a great desire to know what he meant what did the apostle Paul mean that the righteous shall live by faith. He goes on, Night and day I pondered these words until I finally saw the connection between the righteousness of God and the statement that the righteous shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the righteousness of God is the righteousness which through grace and mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage, written by Paul, became to me a gate to heaven. Praise be to God. He goes on to say this. If we have a true faith 
that Christ is our Savior, then at once we have a gracious God. For faith leads you in and opens up God's heart and will that you should see pure grace and overflowing love. Thus it is to behold God in faith that you should look upon his fatherly, friendly heart in which there is no anger or ungraciousness towards you. He who sees God as angry does not see him rightly, but looks only on a curtain as if a dark cloud has been drawn across his face. Close quote. That had been Martin Luther up until that moment. Every time he looked to God, he saw an angry tyrant who was just waiting to pour his wrath out upon him. But now, that had changed. The curtain had been pulled back, and he came to know God as his loving, gracious, heavenly Father. This is when the Reformation began. It began with Martin Luther being reformed in the way he saw God and the salvation that God had provided. When he finally realized that the righteous shall live by faith, not by merit, the theological significance of Luther's discovery of justification by faith alone cannot be overestimated. It was this doctrine, sola fide, or faith alone, that was the theological spark that ignited the fire of the Reformation, along with the doctrine of Scripture, sola scriptura. Luther's doctrine of justification fell like a bombshell on the theological landscape of medieval Roman Catholicism. It shattered their entire theology of merits and the sacramental and penitential basis of the church. The fire had been lit, and nothing could put it out. So, what was at the heart of Luther's message? What was at the heart of the Reformation? That our salvation is provided by God's grace alone. Through the gift of saving faith alone, that faith and the finished work of Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And all of this found in Scripture alone. Not in the teachings of men or councils or popes, but in the teaching of God himself. The Roman Catholic Church taught that people were made righteous before God by an infusion of God's grace at the time of baptism, which then kind of leaks out as we sin and must be refilled by their own efforts. Good works, saying prayers, acts of penance, attending masses, venerating the saints, giving money to the church. These acts would then offset the righteousness that was lost through their sins. But how would one know when one had done enough good deeds to balance out the sins committed? This is exactly where Luther had found himself until God opened his eyes to see that nothing 
but the righteousness of Christ can save us from the wrath of God. And that righteousness is not earned. It is credited to us through faith. And even that faith is given to us by the grace of God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Look back again at Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus died according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he achieved our redemption, redeeming us from our sin and our sinful ways. And we were credited with his glorious righteousness. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous don't live by works or by deeds or by a decree from the Pope. The righteous live by faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Amen? Once Martin Luther's eyes were opened to this truth, in this very passage, this very verse, then he began to see this same teaching over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Suddenly the Scriptures opened up to him and he could see it everywhere. Let's look at just a few of those passages this morning. Turn to Romans chapter 3. It's one page over in your Bible. Shouldn't be too difficult. I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 26, but we'll break it up into three sections here. So Romans 3, 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Saying it once in chapter 1 wasn't enough. Paul here goes even further. He says, listen, no one can be justified in the sight of God by observing the law. First of all, as Pastor Don said earlier, who observes the law perfectly? None. There is none righteous. No, not one. Okay? So we can't be justified by observing the law perfectly because none of us do. Martin Luther knew that. But the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law, manifested in his Son. And that righteousness is credited to us through faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
Folks, listen to me. A gift is not something we earn. Earning is the opposite of receiving a gift. We're justified by His grace, God's grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We receive what Christ has done by faith. Verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Martin Luther was so focused on the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, which is a good thing. Amen? We don't want to worship a God who is not holy, righteous, and just. Will God punish every single sin? Yes. And we want him to. But that was where Martin Luther had been focused because that's where the church focused him. But instead, the focus here is that not only is he just, but he is the justifier of each and every man, woman, boy, and girl who puts their faith in Christ. God himself justifies them. God himself credits them with the perfect righteousness of his son. Hallelujah. But there's more. Romans chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. Paul writes, if Abraham was justified by works, then he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Was Abraham perfect? Oh, no. No. But did Abraham believe God? Yes. And his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. A gift, not earned. Turn to Romans 9, verses 30 to 32. Paul here is talking about the fact that most of Israel, most of Jesus' countrymen, had rejected him as their Savior, right? They'd crucified him. They'd rejected his call to repent and to believe in him. And Paul answers this, speaks of this issue, if you will, in Romans 9. And in verse 30, he says this, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? 
because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So the Jews of Jesus' day, just like the Roman Catholics of Luther's day, thought that you could achieve a righteousness that would be accepted by God through works, through obedience to the law. And it was not possible. And that's what Paul is saying. They can't earn their way to heaven. They can't earn God's forgiveness. But those that didn't attempt to do it that way, but instead received it by faith, they achieved it. They are credited with the righteousness of Christ. Well, leaving Romans, Galatians 2.16 We read this written by Paul. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. How many? None. There's none righteous. And there's none who can be justified by their own works, their own good deeds. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we're very familiar with this passage. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here we see that both salvation and faith are a gift from God. They come hand in hand. Saving faith leads to salvation by God's grace. He gives us the faith to believe, and guess what? We believe, and we're credited with righteousness. So he writes about this in his letter to the Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, we read these words. For his sake, that is for Christ's sake, I've counted, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, note this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. A righteousness that does not come from the law, that does not come from my obedience, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. You might say that there's a theme here in the Apostle Paul's writings. Why is that so? It's because Judaism needed to be reformed. They had led people away from the truth. And the same thing happened at the time of the Reformation. One final passage. Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Listen to this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not only are we credited with the righteousness of Christ, but we become heirs, adopted into the family of God, joint heirs with Jesus, sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So what was the heart of Martin Luther's message? Every one of these passages and many others as well clearly teach us that the righteousness that we need to be right with God has been supplied for us by Christ and it is credited to us, to our account, through the means of faith, which is a gift from God. And that is the instrument through which we access the righteousness of Christ for our salvation. So the heart of Luther's message was the gospel, the gospel, that we are saved by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And those same scriptures also assure us that once the finished work of Christ, earning our righteousness and paying the penalty for our sins, once that is credited to us, we are eternally secure before God. It can never leak out or be diminished or lost in any way. We are considered by God to be his fully righteous sons and daughters forever. We are in Christ and Christ is in us forever. This changed Martin Luther entirely it changed his entire perspective of who God is his entire perspective of what the scriptures truly teach we sang his hymn earlier a mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing once he was in Christ he knew nothing could take him out of his hand. So I started off this sermon today by asking the question, can one person make a difference in this world? And I think now that we know the answer is yes. And we should be grateful to Martin Luther and to all of the reformers who risked their lives and some who lost their lives so that we might know the true gospel of God's grace. You and I stand upon the shoulders of those who have gone before us and those who have handed the true faith down to us. They have passed on to us the torch of the gospel of God's grace that we might carry it forward 
as those who have been called by God, not only to be the recipients of his grace and his salvation, but of his great commission to go and be his witnesses. I want to say this, that you can make a difference in this world by being a witness for Christ. Every one of us are here today because someone shared the gospel with us. Did they make a difference in our lives? Yes. And when you share the gospel with someone else, and God gives them saving faith and opens their eyes to see Jesus for who he is, you will make a difference in their life and in every life their life touches as well. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel, but let us share the gospel with all that we can Everyone that God puts in our path, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? Let's pray.